Hey, y'all. Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Bison Coolers, 100% American-made coolers. They're built not only for the outdoorsman or woman, but also for the weekend warrior type. You know, maybe uh, college football tailgating is your thing, or you're taking the wife and kids camping for the weekend. Either way, Bison Coolers has you covered. They're family-owned and offer great customer service, and you can find their entire lineup of coolers, tumblers, bottles, and other Bison gear by visiting bisoncoolers.com. I hear a lady spitting at the Nicky Jacks Businessman with a needle and a spoon Coyote chewing on a cigarette Pack of young boys going howling at the moon Head darling, sleeping on the black top Head darling, running through the trees, honey Head darling, leaving for the next time Lesson my sense catches up with me Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Coulter Wall sleeping on the blacktop, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. If hunting and fishing are your thing, then uh, you are in the right place because we've got a great show lined up for you today. I also do want to say thanks to our presenting sponsors, though, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. So anyway, uh, man, this is, uh, to be honest with you, uh, one of my least favorite times of the year from a hunting standpoint because the only thing that's really open is feral hogs, which never closes. Now, maybe the occasional exotic in Texas, but uh, everything else is shut down. So it's all about fishing for me uh, for the next month or so. I think we do have a thermal hog hunt planned uh, for the end of the month, but Planning on going up to Texoma and getting after the striped bass here. Went down to the Texas coast last weekend and got into the speckled trout pretty heavy. Uh, bite was on fire around the Galveston area, and uh, we were just drifting live croaker. So, no, I'm not afraid to say that I am a croaker soaker. Don't care. I get down to the coast a handful of times a year, and I'm going down there to catch fish. So, uh, topwater artificials, also great for redfish. And uh, Zara Spooks, pretty good for a trout as well in the morning. Uh, but as far as today is concerned, we've got a great show lined up for you, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire here. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos because we've got a lot to get into. And off the top, we're going to talk all things quail, uh, recovery. You know, we've seen two banner years in a row when it comes to bobwhite quail across the Lone Star State. Uh, that's a far cry from where we were three years ago when it was doom and gloom for Mr. Bob White. I mean, we talked about it in detail year after year, uh, and no one could figure out what was going on with quail. Was it disease? Was it drought? Uh, we're going to answer some of those questions coming up here with our good friend Jay Stein. He is the executive director of the Quail Coalition, They've got 12 chapters uh, here in Yon across the Lone Star State. And, hey, a little bird told me they are entertaining the idea of expanding outside of Texas. So we'll uh, we'll get into all that with Jay coming up here in just a minute, plus talk some habitat improvements as well uh, from a quail standpoint. Uh, then we will spend a couple segments chasing the Silver King. That's the tarpon, baby. Yep, a little tarpon fishing. With uh, freelance outdoor writer Dan Oko, we'll get into his cover story on uh, the latest issue of Texas Parks and Wildlife magazine. Uh, and in that story, he went fishing with 
a 30-year veteran of tarpon fishing, Scott Alford. And so we're actually going to do a, uh, a conference call with both of those guys. Uh, so Dan and Scott will be here, and we'll take a look at the very interesting life cycle of the tarpon. Uh, it's fascinating, truly is. Um, I'm not going to uh, spill the beans on it. I want you guys to uh, get ready to be educated because the tarpon is truly a fascinating fish, one that for one reason or another uh, was, you know, the fishery was depleted. Back in the 1930s, this was a vibrant, vibrant fishery. Folks would come from all over the world to chase tarpon in the Gulf of Mexico, and then suddenly uh, the fish just disappeared. But they're back now, uh, not to the extent that they were, uh, but the fishery is once again viable. And so we'll pick Scott's brain on uh, all things tarpon fishing here in just a bit. Then we will wrap up today's broadcast by checking in with Brian Sin. He is the CEO of a new social media app called You Do Outdoors. Why are we doing this? Well, I for one am tired of all of the hate and animosity that is sent our way as hunters and anglers on social media, predominantly Facebook and Instagram. And so uh, there's a new app out there called You Do, which is basically Facebook for the outdoorsman or woman. And Brian will talk a little bit about what You Do offers uh, to folks like you and I as far as a, a platform where you won't experience the profanity-laden tirades and, and oftentimes death threats uh, that I get. I'm sure some of y'all get them as well. Uh, but You Do Outdoors uh, is uh, is really, I truly believe, an up-and-coming platform that you're going to want to be involved in. So Brian will be here in uh, in just a little bit, and we'll talk some hunting and get into what you do, or I do, outdoors. So that's what's on the docket for today. Uh, cool stuff, no doubt about it. I'm excited. Uh, a couple other things to mention here. Don't forget our June photo of the month contest going on right now. We're offering up a Mossberg Patriot father-son rifle combo. That's right, two rifles to this month's winner. All you have to do is send in your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Better yet, tag us on Facebook or Instagram, and we will get you entered into hey you know what tag us on you do outdoors too because we're on there as well and then don't forget our 12 monthly winners from 2017 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at coons canyon ranch in rock springs texas uh, so that's our 2017 grand prize um, let's do a quick giveaway here uh, i've got the raptor razor mako precision cutting knife that uh, was part of a, a sportsman's box that I opened up recently. And I'm pretty loyal to Havilon knives, but this looks like a pretty sweet knife. And I'm going to give it away to the third person to text in the word TARPIN. That's TARPIN to 214-289-7807. Comes with some extra blades, the whole nine yards. 214-289-7807. You could win the Raptor Razor Mako Precision Cutting Knife. Ideal for uh, skinning and uh, a gut hook. Actually, there's a gut hook on there as well. So cool, uh, cool little knife here. Um, let's take a break. Up next, we've got a lot to get into regarding all things Bob White Quail. Jay Stein of the Quail Coalition stops by right here 
It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing, a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Tidal Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TidalRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Need a new car or truck or your current vehicle worked on? Then stop by my buddy Justin's shop in Garland. Accelerate Auto Group does everything from oil changes to engine swaps. Scratch paint to custom car and truck builds, they do it all. Sales and consignment on everything from cheap commuter cars to investment grade, classics, and exotics. Also, all you outdoorsmen out there, check out the Kevlar coating for your truck. Always looking for good vehicles to buy as well. Call 469-300-9669 or visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com today. Howdy, friends. Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Well, a thunder in my head might go away And a river pain flow back to sea Well, if you don't come back home, stay well, Sturgill Simpson brings us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Hope you all are having a wonderful day. I appreciate you sharing a part of it with me. As we've got some Bob White Quail Talk lined up for you here in just a second. But first, this segment is brought to you by John X Safaris, a second-generation safari outfit located on South Africa's Eastern Cape. If you're interested in booking that safari of a lifetime, which uh, I did, and I'm headed to uh, hunt with John X, uh, what is it, 36 days now. I am counting them down, I tell you what. Uh, But John X will take care of you. They're going to take amazing care of me. There's no doubt about that. And I look forward to uh, sharing that experience with you guys and gals in the very near future. But anyway, if you're looking to book that safari, maybe it's your first one, maybe it's your fifth one. But uh, John X has been hunting Plains Game and Dangerous Game for a long, long time. And for more info on booking, you can go to johnxsafaris.co.za.com. Okay, well, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest. He's joining us live here in the studio, our old friend and executive director of the Quail Coalition, Jay Stein. Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks. It's getting hot. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know. Summer is here. Say bye to spring. No doubt about that. Uh, I guess, first of all, how have you been? 
Been good. I've had a great quail season last year and kind of in that lull where we're itching to go back again. I had a little time to recover. Had our uh, big Park Cities banquet in March, which is kind of the oh, yeah. closer to the season. And uh, got some summer banquets coming up. And yeah. uh, we'll be back hunting before we know it. Yeah, I was sad and missed that one this year. Um, but uh, I was out in uh, Rock Springs uh, two weekends ago. Saw first uh, clutch, or mm-hmm. I call them a clutch or a brood, or uh, yeah, a clutch, uh-huh. bumblebees, yeah, several just terms, tiny, for, tiny yeah. babies. Um, and then that cool thing that I saw for the first time last year is that uh, Mama was nowhere to be found. It was the male rooster that right, was protecting right. them. Yeah, they take uh, turns. Yeah, which was pretty cool. Uh, and then just all over, just just chirping and you know Bob White singing their song, which yeah. is what everybody loves to That's hear. That's right, music to your ears. Uh huh. We know we had two banner years in a row from uh, a number standpoint, recruitment standpoint, just quail all over the landscape. Right. Good um, times. Yeah, which made it great for hunters. And uh, Dr. Dale Rollins uh, from the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, he's been doing the hunting quail and studying quail a uh, better part of five decades. Right. And he told me um, in a recent visit that this was this last year was – the best year as far as number of coveys pointed that he's seen in his lifetime. Yeah, you hear that a lot in the Rolling Plains from last year. Uh, you know, the 80s were really good years, mm-hmm. and the 90s were okay. We had some really rough years, 2000. There were a few good years, but uh, last two years have been great, last year being exceptional. Uh, South Texas, not so much. They right. didn't get the timely rains. They, they always have great quail down there when it rains, but uh, – yeah, they had great great hunts last year, but uh, you know, not not a historic level. But Rolling Plains was off the charts last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went out to uh, gosh, what is it? What is the name of the county? It was my friend Evan McMorty's ranch out there. You're up more around Amarillo. Yeah, where McMorty We're in the is. Panhandle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I, that was the best wild quail hunting I'd ever oh, that's good. seen. In, so in my hey, lifetime. you got to get out now because. Oh yeah, these, these quail come and go. So. And and Evan, he told me, yeah, bring your you know Belle over here. Uh, she honors and is, does very well retrieving mm-hmm. quail. And he had a little uh, a uh, Brittany, mm-hmm. and I've hunted with Brittany's before, and it seemed like most of them, they had no interest in retrieving unless they were forced to do it. Yeah, that's kind of depends on the dog. They're yeah. great flushing dogs, but I've seen some great Brittany's that can retrieve really well. They'll well, this them. dog, I mean. So Bell's with me, mm-hmm. and he's already got a head start. I mean, she unless we shot a double, she never got to do anything because yeah. he was he was you yeah, know retrieving them. Yeah. Oh, he was a great dog. It was just and it's a treat to hunt that's over good, yeah. uh, a good bird dog. Um, <clears throat> now let's talk about this because ever since I started this show eight years ago, it's been just basically bad news for quail until the last two years. So we had so much negative stuff to say, and we couldn't figure out. Is it just rain? Is it eye worms? Is there other, you know, are there other parasites involved? Turns out it's just, we just need rain. I mean. Well, we need <laughs> rain. Uh, you know, th- we had some really bad droughts, mm-hmm. 11 and uh, 13 and, and then some historical droughts. And, you know, uh, quail can survive a drought, but two or three in a row, it's pretty brutal on them. And uh, what the good news is they came right back. So. Yeah. Uh, it gives us hope. There were a lot of guys that were down and oh, getting yeah. rid of dogs, getting rid of trailers, and uh, just knowing that uh, it, it is more than rain. You have to have the habitat, and there's other things we're working on, but to know that it can rain and they can come back in uh, 
near record numbers is, yeah. is really encouraging in such a short time. Uh, you know, so that's really the, the really, sticking point there. Yeah, yeah, it really contradicts science that they came back that quick. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, and we had uh, quite a few, not only just biologists, but uh, outdoorsmen, hunters, mm-hmm. passionate quail hunters. Like, let's lower the limit. Let's lower the bag limit. Let's shorten the season because it is a very long season. It's a liberal season, sure. liberal bag yeah. limits. But in my experience, quail hunting, the times you actually limit out are few and far between. So yeah, you're you don't. I mean, I've I've been fortunate enough to hunt last year with some limits and mm-hmm. hunt with guys that got their limits. But yeah, when the uh, 2012, 13, uh, well, 14 wasn't bad, but I mean, there weren't anybody shooting no. more than a couple of birds uh, out of you know out of conservation and respect for the for the species, but. Uh, also because you just didn't see that many birds. It's right. kind of hard to get a limit when you're seeing five cubbies a day. Exactly, exactly. So hunters really, the point of me bringing that up was that hunters are not involved with the limiting factor on quail at all. To no, be not, not, uh, not typically. I mean, it's, uh, we're self-regulating in a, in a certain respect, but, uh, yeah, yeah, there's. Because I didn't know where to stand on that. I was like, well, maybe we should. It is a long I season. I think it was an act of desperation because yeah. we were really in desperate times and nobody knew, uh, well, you know, we, who knew what was coming down the road two years from then with, with weather and yeah. we've had two great, you know, all I said is just get some average rainfall. We mm-hmm. don't even need a lot of rain. Just get back to average because for four out of five years we were below average. So yeah, uh, average rainfall things came back really well. And, uh, the, you know, the nesting cover and the grasses have responded and, uh, it certainly benefits the quail population. Mm-hmm. What about conditions this spring as we're now in, I mean, these, these birds, like we said, I've already seen some hatchlings and, mm-hmm. uh, if they're not on nest, you know, they're, uh, probably should be very soon. Right. Um, so how are the conditions across the Texas landscape? Well, Texas is a big state, so it, it depends on where you're at. Um, but the rolling plains have gotten some really good rainfall uh-huh. this spring, uh, and they don't need a lot of rain. They just need some some average rain to, to keep things moving. Uh, South Texas, you know, they really depend on those timely rains. Uh, you know, you could get, you know, here in Dallas, we've got almost our month's worth of rain in two weeks. Well, that doesn't really help. You need, you know, rain every couple of weeks to keep things moving, uh, keep the vegetation uh, evolving and and uh, hopefully keep the temperatures down. I think the hot temperatures have a big big play in it. Uh, we talk about rain, but the last two years we haven't had a lot of days over 100. Yeah. And uh, you know, 2011 and 13 there were <laughs> 30 to 50 days over Oof. 100, and and quail pretty much shut down. You know, when it's above 105. So yeah, that's as important as the rainfall. Okay, oh, it makes sense. That yeah, 2011 I remember miserable summer. Um, one other thing I've noticed, and just going out there to the Panhandle, or you can go, you know, uh, farther west, you just see these little towns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're driving out through. I, I usually head through like Jacksboro, and right. I'm going west or yep. the Panhandle, and uh, you start seeing hotels at capacity, mm-hmm. trucks everywhere with dog boxes, uh, hunters in blaze orange, and you know, restaurants full of patrons. It's like going back in time, uh, twenty years. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's you go to these towns and the uh, you know the Aspermonts and the Albanies and mm-hmm. uh, and I have the same experience. Sit down to lunch and there's two or three quail hunters in there, which you know three years ago there might not have been any. So uh, you have to think that these these uh, restaurant owners and hotel operators certainly uh, they they get to reap the rewards just like we do as hunters. Yeah, well, and another thing about that is you see these kids who've never been on mm-hmm. wild quail hunts and uh, 
you don't want to say that it was dying on the vine, but literally we were dying on the vine right, because right. we weren't infusing any new blood into the sport. Uh, and then the guys that were already in the sport were like, well, if there's no quail, why am I, why do I have these dogs? Why am I spending sure. all this money? You know? Yeah. So uh, that's another factor is now we're getting uh, some, some younger, that younger generation. Well, that's a good point. And I was lucky enough to take my son and he shot his first quail this year. I remember that picture. Yeah. And second and third <laughs> and fourth. So, you know, we got a new one hooked. Yeah. That's what it's all about. If uh, we don't get our, our young ones involved, the sports, yeah. we're, in, we're in big trouble. What uh, What is the latest on parasites and disease research? Uh, well, we have funded uh, specifically the Park City's Quell chapter, but some of the other chapters have helped as well. But um, kind of a joint effort between the Rolling Plains Quell Research Foundation and the uh, Texas Tech Wildlife Toxicology Lab. And Texas A&M has been a player in that as well. But um, this has been a long process, about five years, but we've we've – narrowed down to one specific parasite, the eye worm, uh, also the sequel worms. And uh, we funded a lot of studies over the past three years. And believe me, it's uh, a process to get a, a uh, medicated feed approved by the FDA. Uh, <laughs> we're getting closer. Uh, I'm speaking for Dr. Kendall from Texas Tech because he's the one doing all the work. But mm -hmm. we hope uh, within a year we'll have a, a medicated feed out, which is uh, – you know, an analogy, you deworm your dogs, you deworm your horses, your cattle. Uh, this is a, a medicine for quail that uh, we don't know that it's the, the silver bullet, and maybe there's not a silver bullet, but we hope that that will uh, help quail. You know, it's hard to argue with the last two years we've had, but right. uh, as quail are a, a boom and bust species that we're hoping to take the bottoms out of the, the population declines, and hopefully the uh, the both the eye worm and the sequel worm will be – uh, severely impacted by this medicated feed and uh, we can have ranchers use it responsibly to treat their quail and and uh, we'll see what that does with populations but hopefully take the bottoms out right right um that's cool something else i saw i think it was an email i got from uh phil lamb over at the mm -hmm. i think he's in the, on predators around quail feeders there may be like, you know, hawks and coyotes sure. and bobcat yeah. and everything. I'm interested, the numbers aren't out on that, I don't think, but I'm interested to see what that produces. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, that's, we look at it from, are we handicapping these birds by bringing them in for this medicated feed? But uh, the, the, the test stations we've had on the ground haven't shown anything because it's kind of a protected enclosure where mm -hmm. they can go in and they're protected from, uh, you know, hawks or, or what have you. But, yeah, there's obviously some predation when quail yeah. huddle up around they're always there there so yeah. they're always there though so sure. they're, they're, That's right. they're doing fine um let's talk about off-season habitat management it's probably too late uh this you know point in the ga uh, game this spring summer to do much of anything because these birds are already nesting um, but is a good time to start maybe cutting if you want to cut some new roads or if you want to hay a field well, you could always do that. Uh, you just have to be conscious that there are birds on the ground uh, sitting on nests. And, um, you know, a lot of that work uh, as far as food plots and such is done in the late winter, early spring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's you go out and cut some roads, you're not going to severely impact anything. But uh, just be conscious that there are, you know, if, you, if you've got an area that's really covered in nest bunch grasses, um, that there could be a lot of nests in there. Um, well, let's, let's talk about some of those grasses. Well, first let's talk about maybe some plants or shrubs, grasses that provide a little value 
to the core. I'm not saying anything's worthless, but sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, everything has a value, I suppose. But uh, it, you know, coastal Bermuda is a big, uh, a big uh, grass that doesn't really serve a lot of benefit for quail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not tall enough or thick enough for nesting cover and it's kind of a mono stand so there aren't a lot of forbs uh the forbs are the you know the weeds and plants that the quail eat for food sure but uh you know coastal bermuda is pretty much a monoculture of bermuda grass uh it, i wouldn't say it serves no value because the place i hunt uh, my family ranch i've gone out and found quail in these coastal bermuda areas but it's not the number one uh, or even the top 10 plants for quail but uh-huh. uh, that's one that you know gets a bad name um what about cedars cedars you know could serve as some loafing cover uh, a quail can you know it's escape cover as well stay away from hawks or mm-hmm. snakes or other predators um but no they don't serve a particular value as far as nesting but a quail when it's 98 100 degrees outside they need somewhere to go to cool off so no. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know every plant you know has its positives and negatives but uh, that's not particularly a, a really beneficial plant for quail. What are some of the ones that offer the most benefit? Well, uh, your blue stem, like little blue stem, great nesting cover. Uh, prickly pear, as much as we hate it as hunters sometimes. Uh, oh, the dogs you, hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, quail can get in a, in a good prickly pear uh, plant and, and build a nest. Uh, little blue stem, again, for nesting cover. Uh, mesquite trees, as nasty as they are, it's great loafing cover for quail and um, they'll they'll huddle up under there in the summer. Um, you know, a lot of your trees, that's what they're looking for is just shade, just like we would, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as humans. They get out of the sun, and uh, it's good escape cover as well. You know, hawk can't uh, see them as, as easily or can't get down to them if they're under a, a, a loat bush or a mesquite. Or there's, there's tons of plants that are beneficial for quail. Um, Most of the ones that can stick you or poke you. That we right, don't, yeah. We don't like yeah or, or what we consider weeds in your lawn <laughs> is quail food. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, ragweed, you know, as much as we hate it for allergies, it's not bad for quail. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what about other management practices to be thinking about uh, as, you, as we start thinking about next season? Sure. Well, for all of our ranchers out there, I mean, uh, as we stop getting rain, hopefully we don't, but as it, it thins out, through the summer, uh, you know, be careful with your grazing, uh, rotational grazing or managing your, uh, your cattle herds to, uh, make sure you don't, don't eliminate the cover for the quail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very important for them. Uh, well, that's what we saw a lot in the years with the droughts is, you know, ranchers were desperate and had to have food for the cattle. You don't blame them. Yeah, I mean, they, sure. they had to do what they had to do. And, uh, they, they probably took a little bit too much vegetation and that impacts the quail population. Uh-huh. Um, but man, we just need rain this time of year. Uh, there's not a lot you can do, you know, management wise, you could do some brush sculpting and things, but again, when you're out there, you're taking a risk of disrupting some, some nests and birds that are, uh, you know, trying to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as what's going on with the quail coalition right now today, Mm -hmm. we have 12 chapters spread throughout Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, what about plans for expansion? Uh, we've got a few chapters that are uh, prospects right now that we're working with to, to try to get um, some new chapters in Texas. Uh, our board has brought up the uh, the uh, idea of moving outside the state. We've had a lot of interest from folks outside the state mm-hmm. that they see our model that, you know, right. we raise a lot of money and uh, we don't have a lot of overhead. So it's yeah. just maximum amount of dollars that they can uh, contribute to youth programs or quail conservation, habitat work. Uh, it's it there's nothing like it in the country um 
you know, we don't have a headquarters. We don't have offices. It's just one employee, which is me. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, all the money we raise, there's not a lot that comes back to the uh, the national or state organization. So, uh, you know, we've talked to some folks outside of state who have shown some interest. So it, it may be coming down the road. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've got a few chapters in Texas that we're trying to get get up and running and an open mind to uh, outside of texas absolutely so, cool yeah. awesome um how much money did between the 12 chapters we raise last year we do on average about a million and a half a year mm -hmm. uh last year was a little higher because we i think we did eight hundred fifty thousand at the park city's quail so that's a little over they're typically a little over half of the money but uh you know our other chapters fort worth has grown incredibly they have over 600 people at their event now and South wow. Texas is another huge one down in uh, Kingsville. Uh, they've had their banquet in Robstown last year and this year, but still in the same area, but they'll have 600 or so. And uh, the Austin chapter has basically quadrupled the money they raise. So, uh, you know, we're, we're growing these chapters and uh, San Antonio is another great chapter. Um, you know, Dalhart with all these chapters, it seems like every year we raise more and more money, bring more and more folks to the event. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know we I don't know how the final number, but I'm sure it was over 1.5 million last year, and uh, we're off to a good start this year with the Park City Squell event we just had. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know it was going to be that high. Uh, very cool on that front. What are some of the? Uh, I guess where are these funds appropriated as far as you know from a conservation standpoint? Uh, like you said, yeah. very little overhead. I know you have a lot of partners sure. um, that we work with. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's another one of the benefits of Quell Coalition is uh, we let the chapters dictate where they want to spend their money. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, some other chapters kind of tell you how to spend it. But uh, Well, I'm a proud member of Ducks Unlimited with sure. the Dallas chapter, yeah. but yeah. we don't get to decide where we right. spend the money, you know. Yeah, so each chapter uh, can have their own grant <coughs> committee and take uh, proposals from, from all the different uh, quail conservation groups and youth programs. We do, we fund a lot of youth shooting sports mm -hmm. uh, teams and, uh, you know, youth camps. I think the Bob White Brigade camp is going on this week and uh, we heavily fund that. But uh, outside of that, we do a lot of research and uh, habitat work. But uh, the Texas Tech uh, Wildlife Toxicology Lab that I mentioned earlier, they're doing the uh, medicated feed study. Uh, we give them money. Uh, Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, which runs the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Uh, Tex or Quail Tech, which mm -hmm. is uh, based at Texas Tech, but it's right. different than the Texas Tech uh, lab. But uh, they have a lot of anchor ranches across the state that uh, you know they do a lot of studies that we support. The Caesar Clayberg Research Institute down in Kingsville and uh, the Wildlife Habitat Federation is another great organization down in South Texas that uh, restores native prairies, uh, UNT quail closer to home right. here. Uh, there's lots of organizations and uh, the borderlands. We even we don't leave the desert quail alone. We <laughs> talked about quail, but we support the the blue quail and the Montezuma's quail and the gambles down there. They have a great desert quail program. I uh, hope that didn't leave anybody out, but that's. Uh, you know, we uh, actually we fund a position. Quite a few. <laughs> yeah, we fund a position in Washington D.C. with the uh, NBCI, which is the National Bob White Conservation Initiative. Huh. So we've got a guy in, in D.C. working with Farm Bill and things like that to. Uh, That's very know, important. Promote yeah. ag policy and make sure it's a lot easier now with the new administration. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's very important to have somebody there. Uh, the last eight years that you know cared about what we care oh about. Oh my God! Well, I was. Uh, I wasn't too upset to see the uh, the door hit Dan Ash on the way out, yeah, the, right. you know. 
right in the ass. Get yeah. out of here. I mean, things just, are looking up. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. It's looking great. Um, as far as where folks can find you, it's it's uh, quailcoalition.org. Right. If they want to, uh, there's a calendar for upcoming events. Sure. Um, I imagine that would be the first place to go if they're, uh, you know, taking an interest in maybe starting up a new chapter. Right. Um, what upcoming events do we have uh, here on the horizon? Yeah, we got a little break. Uh, we're working on our magazine right now. We've got an annual magazine we put together, which I'm working on this month. And mm-hmm. uh, then uh, we've got our August banquets. Uh, August 26th will be San Antonio. August 31st. Uh, actually, I got those backwards. 26th is uh, South Texas, which mm-hmm. will be in Robstown. Uh, the 31st is San Antonio. And uh, September 14th, we've got Austin, and October 19th, Fort Worth, and then we roll into December, into pheasant season with Dalhart. So uh, a lot of banquets coming up in the fall. Awesome, awesome. Well, as always, man, we certainly appreciate you dropping by the studio. Uh, it's uh, The last two years have been uh, something I haven't seen right. in my lifetime as a sportsman, and uh, it's truly been uh, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get a third. Yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> you doubt. Gotta, you got to go where you can. That's, yeah. you know, that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by, Jay. You bet. Thanks. There he goes, our old friend Jay Stein of the Quail Coalition. Man, I tell you what, I, I love talking quail hunting and quail conservation. It's such a fascinating topic, as we've seen here in the last couple of years, the true boomer bust nature of uh, Mr. Bob White. So. Cool stuff there. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas' premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Ford Jotes. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today Okay, uh, let's take a break. Up next, we'll head down to the Texas coast and chase those silver kings. It's everything you need to know about tarpon fishing. Right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Saw blades buzzing, they be smoking and cussing. It was back when times were good. Living and learning down at Sam's Custom Wood. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. 
It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing, a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Tidal Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TidalRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Uh, my name is Robbie Byers. I'm the executive director of CCA Texas, and I listen to the Lone Star Outdoors radio show. Because the weather's nice and the water's bright, man, I could fish here all damn night. When you had a bad day and your mind is in a haze, you Saltwater Bays, one of my favorites there from Brandon Keys, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, Power. Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you to our presenting sponsors as well. As always, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Thank you, guys and gals out there, for tuning in, whether you are doing so on the radio or via the podcast. We're just glad you're here. Um, hey, do me a favor, by the way. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a review. Tell, uh, tell folks what you think about us. You can rate us one to five stars. Hopefully, uh, it won't be a one-star rating, but, <laughs> you, you know, I would never tell you not to be honest. So uh, give us a good review if you're so inclined. I would appreciate it. And subscribe to the podcast. Um, we have got uh, some cool stuff to get into regarding tarpon fishing here in just a second. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To do so, check us out at biggame.org. All right, uh, let's go ahead now and bring on our next guests. That's right, uh, we've got two folks joining us, outdoor writer Dan Oko. And longtime Tarpon Angler and Project Tarpon founder, Scott Alford. Thanks for being here, guys. You bet. No I wanted to, uh, to have you both on after reading Dan's recent cover feature in Texas Parks and Wildlife magazine titled Quest for the King. Uh, certainly enjoyed that. And I guess, Dan, going on a, uh, a successful tarpon trip had been something you'd tried to do for years, I guess somewhat unsuccessfully. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a freelance writer, so I face certain budget constraints and trying to uh, planning and, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, just getting the season right was a real challenge. I, uh, I, I cover a lot of different stuff. So, so finally uh, having the stars align and getting hooked up with Scott was, you know, yeah, definitely brought to conclusion a, a long-term quest of mine. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I've uh, just in my own personal experiences is, is trying to cover tarpon on the show over the years a lot of guides out there don't want to talk about them because they're they're pretty secretive about it well they are yeah Yeah, this is scott yeah they are um you know it's it's uh the the fishery is different than a lot of fisheries because Mm -hmm. tarpon are so sensitive to pressure and noise that um putting a bunch of boats in the same area where there are fish creates a real problem um, and, you know, I've been doing this since, oh gosh, the eighties, I guess tells you a little bit about how old I am. Um, and, uh, I fished everywhere. I mean, pretty much 
through the Caribbean and Nicaragua and Costa Rica and spent a lot of time in Florida. I spent a great deal of time in New Orleans back in the back in the 90s. Um, hmm. And so I saw how people fished in different areas. And one of the things that was always uh, really kind of special is, is my experiences in Louisiana, where uh, most of the guys that tarpon fish over there uh, are very cooperative hmm. in the way that they fish. They communicate. Um, and everybody sort of knows the do's and don'ts, and if they don't, they try to get somebody brought along so that they do, because uh, you can take 10 tarpon boats that know what they're doing and put them around a bunch of fish, and everybody's going to catch fish. Well, you you put one person in that mix that doesn't know what they're doing, and nobody's going to catch fish. Mm -hmm. So that's why guides get so secretive about it, because... A lot of the times when it gets out and, you know, and it word does get out in certain places that, oh, there's a good run of fish going on and, and word gets out on the street and people start showing up. And, you know, these guys are trying to make a living, trying to take customers and things. Oh, and if sure. they get one guy out there that messes it up, their customers aren't getting, you know, any success. And, and you know, that's their livelihood. So I get that. Yeah. There's no, no, no doubt about yeah. it. And it's different than trout. It's different than redfish. Um, the fish are so much high, more highly sensitive to that noise issue of outboards uh, running over them. And if you spook them up enough, they'll get up and leave, and they'll leave 40, 50, 60, 100 miles away. They'll take off, um, and, and you're done. Yeah. So, so that, that's where some of that comes from, and it's, it's perfectly understandable. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not blaming them. I just, uh, you know, when I saw this cover feature in one of my favorite magazines, I was like, well, these guys obviously aren't afraid to talk about it, so... We'll, uh, we'll track them down and uh, get them on the radio. Uh, Scott, I know you've been chasing these things for 30 years, but that's not actually your day job. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a lawyer here in Houston. Okay, right on. So this is more of a, a hobby, uh, I guess a way of life for you. Um, but here, I do want to talk about this, um, Dan, and we'll let you take this one. These fish have a very interesting life cycle. Uh, talk about that a little bit because they can live a very long time. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they they live quite a long time. I mean, I think typically around seventy-five years, if if I'm not misunderstanding, and Scott may correct me, since he really has been after this uh, as a lifestyle for a long time. But uh, you know, they they just they start as tiny little microscopic, you know biddies in the, in, in the ocean. Nobody knows exactly where they're hatched and they, and they get blown in on these storms into our, into our brackish waters, into the places where it's, you know, a mixture of, of salt and fresh water. And, mm-hmm. and that's really where they mature. Uh, but, but their maturity, you know, is, is, is not a foregone conclusion. And I think that the thing that's really pretty interesting is, is, is that because they uh, end up in these backwaters, they often end up in waters that don't, that, that are not oxygen rich so that they 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 have they develop these bladders uh, evolutionarily, and now those bladders help them to breathe uh, air when they're in sort of these brackish black back pools, and the back that but but that uh, air breathing capacity is also what makes them uh, appear on the surface when they're when they're grown fish later in life. Uh, so they're you know they're pretty amazing uh, just in terms of the long distances they travel. You know the the fact that they they really don't reach maturity uh, in a, in a quick fashion. You know it takes a they, they really have to be about 12 years old before they're able to reproduce, and they reproduce more efficiently and better 
the older they get. So, you know, they're, they're not like people where they run out of their uh, <laughs> reproductive health. They continue to, you know, develop uh, and, and lay more and more eggs as they get bigger and bigger. So, you know, this what Scott's talking about in terms of keeping track of the pods of tarpon, if you will, is, is very interesting. But it's also really important uh, that, they're, that they're allowed to, you know, to continue to grow um, until they reach, you know, full sexual maturity because, you you like like most fish species they they lay tons of eggs and and very few of the fish uh, actually end up uh being being grown so sure sure well and you know it's no secret that 80 years ago or so um the fishery was very vibrant it was, it was a lot different i mean hell the texas coast specifically port aransas area i mean that was the tarpon capital of the world you could go into a bar or restaurant there and just see uh tarpon scales all over the walls um, a lot's changed since then, and I don't know if it's just due to overfisher overfishing or if there's another factor, Scott. But uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure, there, there. I think there are a lot of factors. You know, there's a lot of discussion that goes on, and it, it depends on to some degree, you know, who you talk to. Um, and uh, you know, we don't have any we don't have any hard data or proof as to you know why or how things change, but we know certain things change. One of the things that impacted them about that time was the the uh, damming of the rivers in Texas um, for surface water usage, um, and that certainly had an effect on it. Um, it affected the nutrients that were coming to our coast, the bait structure that was, you know, in our estuaries. And then you add on top of that, you know, you talk about the upper Texas coast. Uh, you talk to some people that have been around a long time, and they talk about tarpon being at rolling it and being caught at the mouth of, of Clear Lake Channel in Galveston Bay back in the 40s and 50s and even the early 60s. Well, what happened after that? Um, subsidence and the petrochemical plants and the bay, you know, subsided significantly. That stopped, but that changed the water clarity, you know, the, the grass beds and things that used to be throughout Galveston Bay. All those things changed. Um, and I think it's probably sort of the perfect storm for them. That combined with a lot of over-harvest that was probably going on in Mexico that you hear, you know, anecdotal reports of things like um, in, the, in the rivers down around Tampico where they would put um, uh, chain-link fencing across the rivers and use dynamite when the tarpon got up in the rivers in the wintertime, and then they'd use the fish for fertilizer. You know, I don't know how true that is, but those are the rumors you hear. Uh, and that that had an impact. And you know, as Dan mentioned, you, you got to think about it this way: um, a tarpon that reaches 200 pounds um, is a female, and she's probably been alive, you know, 70 years, 60, 70 years. And every year, she's producing, you know, two to three to five million eggs that are getting laid. All right. And so, for the species to survive, and she's doing that for 50 years. Okay. So, for the species to survive at a stable environment and stable number, two out of those millions of fish have to reach maturity, okay? Only two out of those millions and millions and millions of eggs she lays over the 50 years. So when you take out a large number of those breeding adult large female fish, it, it's like a domino effect throughout the population. And that's why, you know, so many people that tarpon fish are so, it's almost sort of a, it's almost sort of an obsession to them to make sure that the fish are released healthy, 
that they're not killed indiscriminately. You know, you can't eat tarpon, at least in the United States, it's not considered edible. In some places, I guess, if you're trying to survive, you'll eat it. But the fish is not really considered a very palatable meat. So, um, you know, the idea is save them as much as you can um, and keep those big females out there producing as much as you can. Right, right. Well, and yeah, back, you know, 75, 80 years ago in the tarpon heyday, were folks actually eating them then or just, you know, catching them, uh, taking the scales for, you know, the purpose of putting them on a wall and then taking a picture? Well, the, the culture was obviously very different back then. And no, they didn't keep them. They didn't eat them. They killed them and hung them up and basically threw them away. <laughs> and here we are 75 years later uh, still possibly, you know, trying to right that wrong. Well, I, yeah, and the problem is, is like I said, it's probably a cascade of events. So although we may change our behavior now and it may improve things, but because of the other environmental changes that we've had sort of unwittingly, you know, cast upon them, uh, we may never make it back to where they were, and we probably will, never will. Um, but we make a lot of good strides. Uh, the fish are there. They've been there. They never really went anywhere. It took a while for people to sort of rediscover what was out there. Um, and you got to give a lot of kudos to Mike Williams, whether you like him or don't like him. you got to give him a lot of kudos for for his dedication and really his rediscovery of the tarpon fishery on the upper Texas coast. Um, back, you know, in the 80s and, and even into the early 90s, which, you know, he, he did. And you go back, and it's kind of interesting. If you go back, uh, there's a book that was written uh, back uh, early in the 1900s called The Silver Kings of Aransas Pass. And it's really a great read. And if you go back and you read some of that, it talks a great deal about tarpon fishing. It talks about fishing in lots of places, but it, there's a lot, a lot of the sections in that book are are about tarpon fishing in, in Port Aransas. And much of this information that is in that book truly was lost when the population crashed. Hmm. The know-how and the knowledge about the fish and how to fish for them. And, sure. and those things were truly lost. And we've now regained them, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years of, of get, you know, hardcore getting back into it. But it's really interesting to go back and read the book and go, wow, you know, they knew that back then, and, and we didn't know that, and we had to relearn it, you know. Hmm. It's kind of neat. Yeah, that's fascinating, absolutely. Um, well, Dan, let me ask you this. How was your trip um, with Scott? You know, we ended up with this great article here, uh, but was it everything you expected? Yeah, well, you know, it was it was it was really fascinating. I mean, Scott, as you can hear, knows an awful lot about the fish, mm -hmm. and uh, just being able to go out and 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 sort of cruise the alleys where where they anticipated seeing them. Uh, you know, I've been down on the on the intercoastal, you know, fishing for redfish and trout ever since I moved to Texas almost 20 years ago. You know, it's always a blast. But that's you know you're you're out there you're out there with your little you know spinner bait caster you know you're 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 working a you know ten pound test you know you're hoping for something bigger and from time to time I would see off in the distance with my buddies and they'd say what are, where is, are those jack over there what's going on over there and we never really knew and when I got out with Scott he said those are tarpon over there and I thought I've huh. been fishing within sight of tarpon for you know close to twenty years but I've never seen one roll up. And when we got on his boat, you know, we went out to where he had been, you know, talking with some colleagues about fishing colleagues, not legal colleagues, right. about where the fish were at. And uh, 
yep down was that 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 we were kind of cruising cruising an area uh that that was familiar to scott and all of a sudden you know the fish started popping up and i i, I just thought that was amazing i mean you know i'm a guy who, who who's you know spent time in the mountains you know fly fishing for rising trout you know which are you know probably my favorite thing to chase in the world and all of a sudden we were seeing these you know 60 70 pound fish pop popping up pretty pretty darn close to the boat the only thing i've seen that looks like that is 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 occasionally going on a whale watch so hmm. uh you know all of a sudden we were we we were thick into the fish and and i thought well now it turns on and it still took you know another half an hour hour you know beyond that before before the fish finally realized that we were offering them something to eat um and we were we were fishing with the with a specific kind of lure called a coon pop uh and uh, you know when those when those fish hit those stout offshore rods bend like like a fly rod and it's just you know all of a sudden your you know your heart's in your throat and your you know your hands are all sweaty and it was i mean it was cool and when those fish come out of the air you know come out of the water into the air it's you know they they don't they don't even seem like fish anymore i mean they really are this the silver kings they're they're not overrated as as a as a full contact uh fishing experience <laughs> yeah well and, and that's what i've uh heard and and seen but i've never hooked up with one myself but they are notorious fighters incredible aerial acrobats um scott what is the what and this is just because they're so notorious for their aerial displays do they throw a lot of hooks? I mean, what is the percentage of hookups that result in, you know, landed fish? Well, it depends on how you're fishing for them, and that, that's really part of the key. Uh, back in, when the coon pop was invented by uh, Lance uh, Schwest over in Louisiana, and everybody calls him Coon is his nickname, and that's where coon pop come, came from. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, basically a lead-headed jig attached to the bottom of a circle hook. Um, before that, people were using straight hooks to a large degree, even on bait. Um, you know, when I first started back in the 80s, we were using straight hooks with bait and drifting dead bait and or live bait. That's how we used to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as the coon pop evolved, uh, your hookup in a circle hook gets a much higher ratio of hook hook sets and, and, and um, long-term, you know, maintaining the hook set and getting the fish of the boat. Um, so it depends on how you're fishing. If you're throwing lures with either treble hooks or you're using some kind of jig head, um, you know, like a DOA or something that you're throwing, um, you're going to get a lot of you can get a lot of bites, um, but you're not going to get a whole lot of fish to the boat. Um, there's a lot of technique to it. Um, I use a DOA on a spinning rod, and I'll tell you that I probably have a higher hook set and you know, ratio than the average angler does just because I've been doing this so long and I know how to get that hook in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we go to circle hooks and, and trolling, that's a different, you know, if you're casting with a circle hook, that's a totally different, uh, you know, animal to trolling with a circle hook. So overall, if you had to average it all out, it's probably about a 50, 50 proposition, um, on a bite versus getting a fish to the boat. Um, and some days you, you know, you're just, you know, you feel like you're the bug on the windshield and you <laughs> jump 10 fish and you land none of them and you're sitting there scratching your head and you can't figure it out. Then the next day you, you go out there and you land nine out of the 10. So, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's hard to range a percentage, but um, we we have a lot more success on our trolling lines um, than we do uh, probably on any of the casting equipment. Right on, right on. Okay, 
Uh, well, Scott, Dan, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation. There's a lot more I want to get into. Specifically, uh, I want to talk about Project Tarpon and specifically some of the research that's going into the conservation of this species. So um, are you all both cool to stick around for another segment? Absolutely. Perfect, and that was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Let's take a break. We will be right back with more from outdoor writer Dan Oko and tarpon maestro Scott Alford. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. was the fastest thing around. Long and lean, every young man's dream. She turned every head in town. Hey y'all, Cable here for Accelerate Auto Group, owned by my childhood baseball buddy. They're a full-service dealership and service restoration and customization facility in Garland, specializing in cool truck customizations, lift kits, performance upgrades. They'll even Kevlar your entire truck or its bed. The perfect heavy-duty finish for hunting and fishing. Accelerate Auto Group also offers 100% custom truck builds. The sky is the limit. Visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com or call 469-300-9669 today. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. And if I had a boat, I'd go out on the ocean. And if I had a pony, I'd ride him on my boat. And we could all together go out on the ocean and me up on my pony. There's a classic there from Lyle Lovett bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. If I Had a Vote is the name of that one. Great tune there. I'm your host, Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We are talking Silver Kings. That's right. All things tarpon fishing here this morning. But before we dive back into that conversation... I do want to tell you about the all-new Drive Over Chalk. If you're hauling an ATV, Jeep, or golf cart on a trailer and looking to make the vehicle secure quickly, dock it with the Drive Over Chalk. For more information, go to driveoverchalk.com. All right, let's go ahead and get back into it here with uh, outdoor writer Dan Oko and longtime tarpon angler and conservationist Scott Alford. Uh, we were discussing Dan's cover story in the recent Texas Parks and Wildlife magazine titled Quest for the King. And before the break, we talked a little bit about the history of tarpon fishing. Uh, the capital used to be right there in Port Aransas. Folks would flock to that town from all over the world to try to catch tarpon. 
well, I'm not saying that we overfished it, but I am. Yeah, we did overfish it. Uh, but it was also commercially fished by Mexico, uh, like Scott said in the previous segment, uh, for fertilizer. I mean, these tarpon are not good table fare. Um, but that climate change, rivers being dammed up, there's a litany of things working against the tarpon. We have seen some recovery, though. Uh, I don't think we'll ever get back to those original uh, numbers back in the heyday. But we're going in the right direction, and you know it's because of efforts like Project Tarpon, which I was unaware of until reading uh, your article, Dan. But this is an organization that Scott founded what uh, way back in 2006, Scott? Yeah, and it's kind of morphed from there. Um, Project Tarpon was originally started with the idea of, and it really it really developed out of my uh, workings with uh, Jerry Alt over at the University of Miami, who was doing satellite tagging. And we realized relatively quickly that there needed to be some sort of coordinated effort between anglers and the scientists and the biologists that were doing the research. Uh, one, to get the two together, because you know, biologists aren't fishermen typically, right. um, and and vice versa. So, uh, you know, that coordination and cooperation is essential to doing any kind of you know uh, research on these fish. So that was the intent, and then the idea was also um, having spent you know literally hours and hours on the internet or in libraries or whatever trying to garner any information I could about the fish as a species in an attempt to try to become a better fisherman. Um, I decided there needs to be a source that people can go to um, to read the stuff without having to spend their life on the internet trying to dig stuff up. And so that was the intent. So that it would be a two-way street. You know, the biologists would have access to the anglers, and the anglers would have access to the research. And that's the way it started. And uh, now it runs a tournament more than anything else. It has a website, and we have, um, you know, a weather page, which is nice for Texas anglers, for example. You can go to it, and it's very tarpon-oriented, and there are links to, you know, public stuff, you know, weather places. So instead of having to have a bunch of bookmarks, you can go to one page. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and pull it up. But beyond that, Project Tarpon doesn't do anything now other than hold an invitational tournament every every uh, summer. Um, and that has now morphed into what we've started recently, which was is the uh, International Tarpon Conservation Association, and we filed for our 501c3 status. So hopefully we're going to – I should get that information back in the next month or two to clear on that. Okay. And the goal of that is to create a funding – source um, for uh, researchers so that you've got a graduate student somewhere that's interested in doing tarpon research and we've got hopefully a fund of anglers contributing and then other people contributing um, to it, uh, organizations or whatever that want to help support the research and then we then funnel that to uh, the researchers that want to, you know, want to do tarpon research, whether it be a graduate student or a PhD or, or, or whoever that is, and have an avenue um, where that can happen. Um, I was on the board of Bonefish and Tarpon Trust for a number of years, and uh, they do more than tarpon. Uh, they, they, you know, they do bonefish research and permit research and a lot of other research. And so we decided we would uh, start something that was just focused on tarpon, not just in Texas, but everywhere. Mm -hmm. And for the real true, you know, tarpon addicts that want to know that when they give a dollar to an organization, it's not going to go to permit or bonefish, it's going to go to tarpon. So uh, that's kind of where we started it. And the website's itarpon.org. Okay. So it's it's pretty easy to track down. But uh, And we've got our research on there. That's the other thing. You know, the satellite tagging research that's been done in the past, 
they're all over the Caribbean and the Atlantic. You can go on there and you can watch the little videos. I think we've got videos on there, but you can certainly see the tracks, you know, where certain fish went and moved all the way down to Nicaragua, fish we've tagged in Nicaragua and Trinidad and places like that. You can see where those fish uh, migrated to and moved to after they were tagged with the satellite. Tag. What's the farthest That's one of these slick. fish has migrated uh, based off of that information? Uh, uh, all the way, if you can believe it, from Florida all the way off of Cape Cod in the Gulf Stream. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so... They cover some ground. Well, that's... Yeah, they can cover some ground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very typical for t- fish that are tagged in Mexico in the spring to end up in September and August off of the mouth of the Mississippi and then to go back. We tagged a... Uh, we tagged a 200-pounder, right, right at 200-pounder, uh, a couple of years ago in the fall along the uh, Texas coast. And that fish... That tag popped off of that fish in December, uh, way down at the very bottom of the Bay of Campeche, so mm-hmm. um, right off the Yucatan. Wow. So, you know that, and that's that's really not, that's a big migration, but it's not some of the bigger ones. And it, that's just very typical of, of what we find these fish doing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and they're not, and, and that's important too. They're not our fish. They're not Texas fish. They're not Louisiana fish. They're they're all of our fishes, and they're Mexico's too. And you know we we've, we've got to understand how to manage them better from a international standpoint as well. Yeah. Well, and that's completely unlike the red snapper fiasco that we've seen here over the last uh, six seven years, where those fish they might migrate from one reef and then head over three miles to the next reef, but they're if they're off the coast of Texas, they're staying there. You know, they're not migratory. Um, right. And and yet the feds want it all managed as the same population. Well, that's baloney because uh, the fish off the coast of Florida aren't coming to Texas and vice versa. Uh, right. And so, you know, we've that's been a big point of contention. We've had Robin Rikers on, our coastal fisheries director, multiple times over the years to talk about that. So tarpon, a uh, completely different ballgame, though. So like you said, they're everybody's fish. Um, Dan, did you guys actually tag these fish on y'all's trip? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we tag the fish. Scott uses a, a, a ribbon tag. He's got some satellite tags, too, which are, are bigger and fancier. These are just ribbon tags so that if the fish are caught again, people can mark where they've turned up, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did. I mean, Scott Scott does. I mean, he, he's very dedicated to this research program, so it was pretty interesting to be there. And I mean, you know, the fish, he never gets the fish out of the water. He's, you know, he's got tape measures to, you know, get the best estimates on weights and stuff so you know the, the fish are really handled in a, in a very delicate manner uh which is you know also pretty amazing since they look like a giant armored <laughs> <laughs> yeah. very shiny carp <laughs> yeah. uh so they're really uh they're really they're really quite majestic and again but they they have to be handled that way as well because if they you know go off back into the gulf you know swimming sideways you know, they're they're not the top of the food chain because sharks eat a tarpon. You know, so they they've got to be, uh, you know, released carefully uh, and and handled well. But we did we did tag a few. Again, they're not they're not satellite tags, so I can't go back and visit uh, the catch. We've spoken with Captain Mike Holiday, a guy out of Florida, Costa Del Mar um, pro. And anyway, he says there's days uh, where. They won't even go if they see too many sharks because when they release the tarpon, even if they take care of them, if they're just done for a second, they're dead. I mean, those sharks key in on that, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the, that's probably something that you've had to fight over the years too, Scott. Yeah, we don't have the, you know, we don't have the problem that they have um, to 
to the same degree around the Boca Grande area and on the west coast of Florida with the large bull sharks that are coming in and, mm-hmm. you know, basically waiting for a free meal. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really have that big of a problem. We do, we did have one year where we tagged quite a few tarpon with satellite tags, and it, it became a very concerning event because uh, over a couple of days we tagged quite a few fish, a uh, handful of fish, and and all of the tags came out early, and when, when the satellite tag comes out, the satellite tags record on an ongoing basis water depth, uh, I mean, yeah, depth of water, water temperature uh, that the tag's in, light, uh, uh, whether it's sunny or not, you know, whether there's there's sunlight on the tag or not. So there are a lot of different factors, and we can actually tell, you know, what kind of clarity of water the fish is in based on what the light coefficient is that the tag's picking up. So what happens is is, is we know that the sh- a shark got a hold of the tag and the tarpon because um, we don't hear from the tag, and then the tag pops off early. Um, and when we get the data back, it's flatlined. It's no light and constant temperature. And then when we get the tag and we look at it, it's got teeth marks in it. Well, you, you figure it out right. pretty quick. So so there was one time, one tournament off of Gallison where we tagged a bunch of fish, and every one of them got eaten by a shark, despite how you know healthy they looked when we let them go. And we... We really had some concern over that. We hadn't experienced that before, and we thought, gosh, is, do we need to stop this program? Because part of the tagging process with a satellite tag is the fish is at the boat for an extended period of time. And we really, really thought long and hard about, well, is this a program we even want to continue anymore if we're in a position in Texas where there are just too many sharks around and we're putting these fish at, at risk? And we thought about it, and we thought, well, let's give it another year, and let's try it one more time and see if it was just not, you know, there were some, you know, bad stars lining up on that day. And, and we've done it since, and we've had one or two instances uh, since then, but nothing, you know, nothing of any real consequence that we can look to and, and be of great concern. But one of the things we have realized about these tags, which is kind of interesting, there are two kinds of tags. One's a, called a PAT tag, which is a pop-off archival tag. Mm-hmm. And it lays down on the fish's side when the fish typically swims, and it records all this data. And when the tag comes off, it pops up to the surface and links to a satellite and, and downloads all the information. Um, then the other tag that we have is called a, a SPOT tag, and I don't know what the acronym is for is it. But, but what it does is every time a fish rolls, since tarpon are prone to rolling, um, if there's a satellite up above and it, it gets a good enough link, um, it'll immediately shoot the tarpon's position to it, to the satellite, and to the researchers over in Miami. Huh. And uh, those are kind of cool, but they're different because they're more torpedo-shaped, and they tend to 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 float uh, and ride a little higher on the back of the tarpon. And what we found is, is when you place those in clearer water, like over in Florida or in the Caribbean, they tend to stay on the fish longer. But even when we put them in Florida and the fish ends up in either Louisiana or comes into the Texas coast where the water's murkier and there's more sort of the bait structure of Menhaden and these big bait balls, we find that something's coming along and grabbing a hold of that tag and jerking it out of the fish. Interesting. Uh, and so we can't seem to keep a spot tag in a tarpon in Texas more than a couple of months and they come out at most. Uh, they get jerked out and they just come out of the fish somehow. Huh. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what's doing it. Uh, well, sharks are doing some of it because we yeah. see the shark tooth marks in it, jerking them out. So you know these fish are getting in bait balls with other 
critters, jacks and sharks and other tarpon, and something comes along and sees that thing, and it kind of looks like it's right the shape of a shad, the right length, the right size, and it goes, well, that looks interesting. Mm-hmm. And they grab a hold of it and jerk on it real hard, and the tag comes out. Yeah, but in Florida, the water's so clear they can tell that it's not. I think they can tell the difference, uh-huh. right. Okay, interesting. That's fascinating. Well, uh, guys, we, we're almost out of time here. Uh, I did, Dan, if you want to tell folks where they can find, like uh, if you've got a website or Facebook where they can check out uh, all of your writing. It's, it's a little out of date, but I have a website, danoko.com, D-A-N-O-K-O.com. Uh, you know, my stuff appears frequently in Parks and Wildlife Magazine, Texas Highways, Texas Monthly. You know, I'm, I'm all over. If it's got Texas in the title, you can probably find my writing there. Uh, and, of course, my name is six letters and easy to recall for anybody who wants to just Google it. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, I, I certainly appreciate uh, the uh, the work in, in the magazine. Enjoyed the article, Dan. Uh, Scott, thanks for all that you are have done. I mean, this is like your life's work, uh, your passion for tarpon and, and tarpon conservation. And, and I do want to say this. We always say that hunting is conservation because that's where all the dollars come from. And uh, at the end of the day, fishing is conservation too uh, because – it's it's anglers like Scott that have uh, taken up you know this passion and and have decided to devote a lot of their life to uh, the conservation of a specific species uh, in this case tarpon. So we appreciate that, Scott. Yeah, and Cable, let me tell you, you know, if somebody wants to get into the sport, um, you know, Texas is a great place to do it. Uh, there's a huge learning curve. There's a huge learning curve for tarpon fishing. Um, and there's so many elements to it uh, to to really do it effectively. Um, it's a game of patience to a large degree. Uh, but then again, once you get up on the learning curve, uh, your effectiveness gets better. The easiest way to get on that learning curve, quite frankly, is go hire a guide. And I don't mean one trip because you're, it's a roll of the dice on the weather and everything else. You need to consistently put your time in, spend some time with a guide, get to know him, Start having really frank conversations with them about do's and don'ts and why they're doing certain things and not doing certain things. And then go try to do it yourself and then try to get involved. Because if you go out there and you don't know what you're doing, I mean, because you're going to be wasting a lot of fuel, a lot of money, a lot of ice, a lot of drinks, a lot of food, all that stuff, and you're going to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And the best thing to do is to hire a guide. Spend, and there are a lot of great guides in the Galveston area that do it consistently and on a regular basis. Hire a guide, spend some time learn what you need to learn, and then try to go do it yourself. Right on, right on. Well, great advice. Uh, certainly appreciate your time, guys. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. You bet. Thank you. Anytime. All right, there they go. Uh, Project Tarpon founder and 30-year tarpon angler, Scott Alford, and uh, freelance writer Dan Oko. Uh, great stuff there, man. That was a fascinating uh, – it was fascinating for me anyway. I learned a lot about tarpon. Uh, in the first segment, especially, just uh, their life cycle and the fact that they pretty much spend the first four years of their life uh, in brackish water, and that's where they, I guess, evolve to the point where they can breathe air. Uh, so that's why tarpon come up and roll, much like an alligator gar. Very similar to an alligator gar, actually. Um, that segment of the show probably brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. They continue to set the gold standard with thermal imaging. Uh, I mean, if you haven't seen the new Pulsar Core, woo, <laughs> that thing is a game changer. Uh, I've looked through it and have hunted with it. Let me tell you, when it comes to thermal imaging clarity, uh, there's nothing like it that I have ever seen. 
And uh, if you tell Pulsar that I sent you, you'll save 20% off your entire order, whether you want a, a Core or the new Trail or the Helion Monocular or any of their um, night vision optics as well. You'll save 20% when you use the promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Let's take a break. Up next, um, if you're tired of all of the hate and backlash that we hunters and anglers and outdoorsmen and women face on social media, there is a new social media outlet available to you, and we're going to get into it next when you do outdoors. CEO Brian Sin joins us right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Man, as far as I can tell, we might both end up in hell, but you're sure as hell going first. I'm chasing tail lights straight as a crow. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Hi, this is Chris Davis from the Baltimore Orioles. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But you ought to thank me before I die for the gravel in your guts and the spit in the eye because I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue. I got all choked up and I threw down my gun. That is the man in black bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. And, uh, man, it is truly great to be here talking a little hunting, fishing, and outdoors with you today. So, thank you for tuning in as we are rocking and rolling. And, uh, I think you're going to like our next topic. I really do. Because for someone in my line of work, uh, the amount of hate, disdain, and just sheer vile comments that I receive on a daily basis, sometimes uh, it can be overwhelming on social media. And I'm talking about on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, social media, it does this. It empowers those keyboard warriors who probably never step foot outside, to be honest with you. And they'll say stuff like, uh, I hope your whole family gets hit by a truck and dies. Or here's one from last week. Uh, one guy told me he hopes that I get cancer. Huh. And and I posted a photo of someone else's uh, leopard kill, and, and that's what came to his mind. How sadistic is that, really, for you to wish cancer or 
that your whole family gets hit by an 18-wheeler just because you hunt or fish? It's mind-blowing. And these are the same people that preach uh, social acceptance and live and let live. And it's all fun and games until you kill an animal and eat it, (laughs) which is what God intended us to do. Uh, It just shows you how hypocritical and just twisted and sick these people are. They value the life of an animal over a human being. It's mind-blowing. And so anyway, to the point of it, uh, there's a new platform out there, a social media platform called You Do Outdoors. And we're going to talk about that next. But first, this segment is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas, now with a second location in San Antonio. Josh and Becky Gunther, they take care of all my mounts, whether I'm out hunting whitetail, black bear, uh, catching big trout on the Texas coast, whatever the case may be, if I'm lucky enough to get that wall hanger, uh, which is what God wants you to do, by the way, be out there enjoying all of his creation, uh, then they're the ones who make that memory last a lifetime. And they'll do the same for you. They offer exceptional work with quick turnaround time. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Okay, uh, well, without further ado, let's bring on the CEO of You Do Outdoors. I'm very excited about this. It is my pleasure to welcome Brian Sin to the show. Thank you, Cable. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself as an outdoorsman. Yeah, you know, I grew up in, uh, in Alabama and small town and a uh, little river town on the Tom Bibby River and uh, everything we did was was pretty much outdoors uh, you know my dad uh, did a great job of keeping me and my brothers uh, we were in either fishing or hunting and just enjoying an outdoor lifestyle um, being in a small town that's basically what everybody did and uh, keep you, you out of trouble or it keep you out of trouble yeah. so we were either hunting fishing or playing baseball and and uh, so Baseball kind of uh, took over as I got a little older. You know, I never never quit the hunting and fishing, obviously, but uh, played baseball and was a pitcher and went to Auburn University and uh, was fortunate enough to to pitch in the, the SEC and enjoyed that time. But uh, never never even even when I, on our off days, I was I was looking for somebody that would let me go fishing in their pond or hunting <laughs> on their land. So yeah, awesome, awesome. And so, what is your uh, what is your favorite thing to hunt and fish for these days? I'm a bow guy, so I'm man. I'm I mean I'm definitely not against shooting. My kids, I've got I've got five kids, cable, and oh, wow. four boys, and uh, ranging from the age of 19 to 13, my boys, and then I got a six-year-old little girl. And so, uh, I, my favorite thing right now is just spending time with my boys in the woods. And uh, a six-year-old course, girl, six-year-old little girl. Wow! Yeah. Whoops! Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. My uh, my youngest brother is 10 years younger than me, and he was a surprise. So I tell people all the time, it's not that I don't love my boys. I love all my boys, but I throw sticks at them for this little girl. She's she's got <laughs> she's got daddy wrapped. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, no. we just it's just man, it's just been a way of life for me, and and really that's kind of what what really brought you do on. To be honest with you, uh, mm-hmm. is is kind of how it was brainstormed i guess is sitting in a shooting house my uh, my best friend and my old roommate uh at auburn uh ended up as scott sullivan ended up playing uh 10 years in the big leagues for cincinnati reds and then uh, i think his last year was with kansas city kansas city roll uh-huh. 
he's got a uh, he he moved back to Alabama, got a got a great place to to hunt and spend time, and uh, uh, so me and my kids are there as as much as possible. And me and my at the time they were twelve and thirteen. Uh, they were we were sitting in a shooting house and. We we got a little handheld video camera. We don't have anything fancy, no no great equipment, but we love to act like we have our own hunting show. Yeah. So we we do the commentary before the hunt. I video them getting in the shooting house and setting up, and of course I'm we're just cutting up in the in the in the shooting house, and and then uh, we were fortunate this one day that my 12 year old actually uh, got took his first buck. Um, wasn't a monster, just a, just a nice, nice six point. And, uh, but the footage was decent and the commentary was good. And of course the, the, uh, the, the, the talk, uh, on the video after, after the hunt was good. And my boys wanted to, we edited it the best with our limited knowledge of how to do that. We, we edited the video and my kids wanted to put it on Facebook and cable. I couldn't, I couldn't let them in good conscience as a dad. Right, because I see, <clears throat> I see all these other people that have done that, and they've gotten the hate, um, death threats. I know that we're doing a, uh, we're going to be doing a video shoot uh, next month with Taylor Drury, uh, talking about, talking about what she went through this past year with posting a deer on Facebook, and she posted it on a Sunday, and by Wednesday she had over a hundred death threats. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to subject my kids to that. And of course they didn't understand that because they wanted their friends to see it. And, and I wanted people to see it. I wanted, you know, I'm proud of, proud of my guys. And, and, uh, but I kind of, kind of, that's kind of what started the thought is I'm like, man, how unfortunate is it in this world that we have to basically hide our, our passions and our heritage. Um, it's and ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. The hunters and anglers are salt of the earth people. I mean, they're they're the best people in the world, uh, in my opinion. I mean, I, I've got a guy in Oklahoma that I've hunted with uh, twice in my life. Those are the only times I've ever met him. Well, my deer lease is in Oklahoma, and I, one t- one time my, my truck battery died, and it's two hours from home, and it's you know eight o'clock at night, and I'm not you know don't want to call my wife to drive two hours, load up our three kids. And I just had this guy's number, like I said, only hunted with him twice and just said, hey, Roy, uh, I got a situation. And he lives an hour from there. He's like, well, I'll go to Walmart, get you a new battery, and I'll be up there. I mean, you know. <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And we have to pretend like uh, what we do is wrong, like because we hunt and fish. Well, God intended for us to hunt and fish. Exactly. That's, we're just, you know, we're following in his footsteps how he made us. And uh, now we have to pretend like it, that that's – we don't have to pretend. We don't pretend. But folks want to make it out to be like we're bloodthirsty criminals, savages, uh, mur- murderers. They call us murderers. If you look they up the word murder, murder in the dictionary, it's between an act committed between two people. You cannot murder an animal. You can only kill it. So, Amen. Well said. Yeah. It's and, uh, <clears throat> asinine. It is, and, and, and it's a very unfortunate – and, and the, some of the best friends, and you're exactly right, when I look back on, on the friends I've had over life, the ones that I have those strong bonds with, it, it was made hunting or fishing. And, and, and just to piggyback off your story, I go up to Kansas every year. I've got a friend, became friends with a farmer. He lets me come up there. Uh, I had a new place that he had told me to go hunt. 
uh, and he just kind of told me how to get there, look mm-hmm. for this, turn left at the big oak tree, that kind of deal. And uh, so I went, and I'd been hunting there several days. And uh, the last day of the hunt, uh, I get a flat tire while I'm sitting there uh, at the old at this old broke run down broken down old barn. <clears throat> a guy pulls up on a Kawasaki mule, probably in his sixties. And he's like, hey, you know, so you're having some bad luck with a tire? And I'm like, yeah. And he gets out and he starts helping me. And he's like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm hunting. You know, the, the farmer, He's, I told him his name. And he said, oh, they're great people. They're great people. He said, you know, just really like those guys. He said, there's just one problem. And I'm like, what? He's like, this ain't his land. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I've been hunting here for the last three days. I, I apologize. I thought I was hunting the right spot. Man, that guy took me to his house. His wife made cookies. And and he started, I mean, he is like, hey, next time you guys come up here, don't get a hotel. Are you staying at the town in Eldorado? Just just come out here. We've got an extra room in the basement. My kids are all grown and moved out. We've got, just come stay with us next time. Oh, wow. And, that, and we have stayed in touch just from something that small, but they're, they're good, like you said there it's good people yeah it's not bloodthirsty no praise no. maniac people <clears throat> no. and it's unfortunate that that at this point or up until now we haven't had a place to take pride in the stories that we're telling and the things that we do mm-hmm. yeah so yeah well and you know that's what we're going to talk about now is you know over the past few months there's been some buzz about a new outdoor app and and social network so you know we talked about we gave everyone an overview of why you do was started uh just the overall disenchantment with places like facebook where it's anti-gun anti-hunting liberal friendly you know that's the kind of platform that they want to foster so um and the other thing is i I don't know how they flag the post they've got an uh, some kind of algorithm or something but if you post a picture of a gun I mean, I think we have 43,000 likes on our Facebook page and like 10 people will see it, you know? Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's the, insane. I don't know how they do it either. Uh, Facebook is very smart. Uh, they've obviously got some intelligent people behind the scenes uh, with, with with how they figure this out. I bet but those people never get outdoors. They probably sit in the computer all day. They never get outdoors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they got to be mad. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but you're but you're right, man. They're holding it. They're 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 definitely suppressing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what you put on there. Yeah, well, and they've made it all about the dollar. You know, when they they made it uh, a deal where they're only going to deliver your content if you pay for it. So you know that's that's their right to do. What is what is different about you do outdoors? And um, talk talk a little bit about this platform because I have the app on my phone. I've played on it uh, a little bit here. Been impressed with what I've seen. But uh, give our listeners an overview. Well, thank you. I appreciate you downloading it yourself and, and getting on. And I look forward to seeing all your posts on there. And and basically, it is the way that I describe it to most people is it's it's social media first and foremost. It's social media for the outdoors. So whether you hunt, you fish, you hike, you camp, play baseball, tennis, soccer, whatever you do outdoors. And that's kind of where the name you do was derived from. It's for whatever you do outdoors. So it doesn't have to be just hunting. It doesn't have to be just fishing. It's for whatever you choose to do outdoors. But we want people to get up, get out of their house, 
and go do something and then share that with us. So we're trying to motivate people to, to, to get up and get off the couch. And I mean, and look, it's an app and we're, we're obviously now in the app business. So we, we, we need people to post and, and, and engage on it, but there also needs to be a time to disconnect from that and to get out and enjoy what God created for us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. The short answer, we're Facebook for the outdoors, but everything Facebook hates is what we love. And that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of a uh, maybe that's a little too short of an answer for it, but but that's kind of what it is. We're supporting faith and family and, and freedom and the Second Amendment rights, and uh, so you you can you can post pictures, you can post videos, you can build groups inside of it. So, for example, with the groups, when I go up to to Kansas. I may have 20 or 30 of my friends that know I'm going, and they're all texting me. Are they rutting yet? Have you seen anything yet? How's it going? And I'm, they're all texting basically the same questions, mm-hmm. but I'm having to text back 20 of them the same answer. Haven't seen yeah. anything yet. Haven't seen anything yet. Haven't seen anything. And you, you find yourself texting more than hunting sometimes if you're not careful. So we'll have groups in there where you can go in, you can build a private group of just you and your 20 hunting buddies or 10 hunting buddies or whatever it may be. I may like have another mates. group. Here's a group of guys that are on the exactly. same deal Yeah, Exactly. And now you can communicate, you know, with everybody through one, through one text. Uh, I'll have, I'll have another group for my running group uh, or, uh, or tennis or, or golf or whatever it may be. So you can build those groups. You can keep them private. The, and, and when it goes in one of those private groups, it stays there. So if I, there are some, pictures that I may want uh, everybody to see. There's some people pictures that I may post. Um, I may not, if I make a mistake and think I'm shooting a doe and shoot a spike, I may not want everybody to see that picture, but I may want my hunting buddies to see where I messed up or something. Mm-hmm. So, But it can't leave. That, that photo is protected. It won't leave that group, so it keeps it private. You can also build groups. I know there's people on YouTube every day building groups now where you know, we've got daily devotional groups that are public groups where you can go in and join those groups. We've got a women, women in the outdoors group. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, and there, so you can have the public group option as well. The other thing that we're doing, you know, when I think about me personally going on a trip, I'm like, okay, what do I use? I use I use social media to share mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I use uh, a weather function action and check the wind direction and the moon phase and we're bringing all that into one place so on the you do out there's a tool set um we're still we're still improving it it's there it works good the radar you can mark your location we're making some big improvements on that that will be made over the next month uh to just enhance it but we want to be a place where you can come and, and 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 you don't have to leave to go to a weather app. You can do it all from right there. Hmm. So it won't just be social media. It'll be social media with a nice, robust tool set set to go with it. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So all that in a, in a safe place to get away from all the hate and the liberal machine that's uh, behind all the other social media platforms out there. Um, Absolutely. And that's one, that's probably the reason, one of the big reasons that the NRA has gotten behind us, and they've done several really nice articles on us already. Um, and and I've met with them when we launched at the NRA convention several weeks, about four or five weeks ago. And uh, in our time meeting 
with the NRA, they brought me up and met with me, and, and they're like, look, <clears throat> we need this because we know that Facebook is not going to let us, they're not going to allow us to advertise mm-hmm. very much longer on here. We had people come up to us at that convention and say, you know, I am, I sell gun parts, and my only way of advertisement is done on Facebook. And my business, 80% of my business, is Amazon. And just this week, Facebook pulled all my bo- my boosted ads, ads uh, for my advertisement. They pulled all of them, not just for the week. They went back and took them down for the entire year. And then wow. Amazon comes out two days later and says that they're not gonna they're not gonna let me ship my gun parts anymore through Amazon. He says so. My whole business was just attacked mm, wow. because wow. of because of an agenda. Man, <clears throat> so that's just one example. They're doing that across the board. So across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah across the board. Yeah. So well, and I've got the app pulled up on my phone, and I'm looking, and just so people have an idea. I'm just scrolling through my feed, and these pictures, 52 likes, 90 likes, 110 likes, 25 likes. That's that's more than you see on most Facebook posts because no one sees the Facebook posts anymore. So I'm just trying to give folks an idea of that you do didn't just start yesterday, so you're not going to get on there and see like two other people. Uh, there's a good community already on there, and it's growing every day. That's right, and, and it is. And I've been – you know, the one thing that, I, that I've really am encouraged by, Cable, is the fact that the people that are on do they're using it. And they're sending me messages in chat, you know, because we've got a chat. You can chat chat live on there. And, um, and they're sending me messages like, man, thank you for doing this. We had, we had got off social media because of the anti-hunters, the anti-Second Amendment rights, the liberal agenda that we felt like was being forced on us, a lot of the other stuff on it that you we just don't want to see and we don't want our kids to see and so thank you for doing this because now we've got a place where we can go on and and be active again and so the people that are on you do they're active they're making posts they're checking they're liking they're commenting so i'm really encouraged by that and um it's growing every day so we just got to get the word out people don't know about it as much yet they're starting to Mm-hmm. But uh, possibility for growth is is limitless um, with you do. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let me ask you this though, because people are going to know: um, is it free to download? Free app, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, and then the other thing is, so you're the CEO, one of the founders of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you plan on monetizing or making back your investment on there? Because people want to know. I mean, like, what? Financially, it has to make sense from a business standpoint. Sure, absolutely, and and a big part of that initially would be from uh, from advertisers. Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, advertisers have golly, when we were at the uh, convention at the NRA convention in Atlanta. So, like the same we, guy who's getting his gun posts pulled off Facebook. Hey, come over here, and exactly. not only will we not pull them, we'll promote the heck out of them. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. right. So. So those guys, so the uh, I know we talked to Zeiss talked to us when we was out there. Bushnell talked to us when we was out there. Uh, there was there was an incredible amount of interest, and we probably had 50 manufacturers say, "Hey, we're ready to start advertising. When can we start advertising?" And we had to, and I had to 
had to say, hold on just a minute. I'm, you know, we we're just launched like yesterday. Yeah. And so I would love to take your money right now, but I'm, I, I think that would be unfair to you. Sure. Uh, let us build a base, help us build a base. Uh-huh. Let's, let's, let's co-promote each other, help us build a base. And then once we get to where it's, uh, it's a benefit for us to accept your money, then we will gladly do that. But, but I want you guys to be able to get something out of it before we do that. So, one way is obviously through the advertising is a way we will uh, make you know <clears throat> make money off of it. Um, another way is that we will we have plans to do a whole lot of additional things like we're going to have a real estate section for realtors to go on. They can lease their land for sale. Uh, they landowners can uh, they can list land that they're wanting to lease out. Uh, hunting clubs can advertise for memberships. So all those things will have uh, a small, you know, cost associated with it mm-hmm. for that. We're, we're looking at doing a, uh, and we will do, a uh, online store through Udo. So it'll be, we're, we're kind of vetting out right now the best way to do it. It's either going to be like where, you, where me and you cable can get on and, and list, I don't know, a used pair of, hunting boots or camouflage or maybe a used scope or gun or bow. Uh, and we can sell almost like an eBay type deal. Uh, and then we'll also have like new stuff too as well. So kind of more like an Amazon for the outdoors because they're starting to shut down all that stuff. Yeah. So they're kind of creating, they're creating an opening for us. Huh. So we Absolutely. will also have all that kind of stuff. Now that's, that's not going to be overnight. Uh, that, that takes time to add on. Um, one of the biggest things that we're going to be adding in the near future um, has nothing to do with us being able to to um, to make any income off of it, but it's really important to me to do it. Is we're going to have a You Do Cares uh, tab on the app, hmm. and you'll click you'll click on the You Do Cares, and and it'll probably be like two drop downs where you have You Do Cares and you have You Do Faith. We want to kind of take the Chick Fil A model. We don't want to hit you over the head with a Bible verse every time you get on, mm-hmm. uh, but but you're going to know what we're about, and you're going to know where, what we're guided by and, and guided by our faith. Uh, and when you get on YouTube Faith, you'll be able to go to daily devotionals, videos. There'll be a whole different chain of stuff. On the You Do Care side, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different organizations, great organizations right now that do stuff for wounded warriors and that do stuff for kids with disability and make a wish foundation type stuff. My vision for that is so a kid in, in Texas gets on you do cares and send us a request to, Hey, years old, I live wherever. And I don't have a dad in my home. My mom's single mom raising me and I want, I want to go fishing, but he didn't have anybody to take him to introduce him to the outdoors. Like my dad introduced me. And I want to then be able to, through You Do Cares, hook them up with an organization in their local area, send the guy some fishing stuff uh, or whatever we may do, and get somebody to take that kid and introduce him to the outdoors. Right. Awesome. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, you know, we hit on that frequently on the show is uh, take someone, take a newbie hunting or fishing 
And, like a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah especially if someone who, who wants to go, but, you know, like you said, maybe they don't have a, a father figure in the home that's able to take them or whatever the circumstances. So that's very cool. And I'll say this uh, about Chick-fil-A. It's worked for them, that the, the faith-based model. Uh, my kids are always upset that they're closed on Sundays, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I applaud them for uh, for staying true to their ideals. So staying true to who they are. Well, yeah. I didn't. I, I hadn't. I hadn't eaten there since yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I'm trying to stay away from the uh, the fried chicken sandwich these days and go more the salad route. But uh, oh man, you gotta get, go spicy. Gotta go spicy chicken. Oh well, as we get older, I don't know. You've got five kids, so you're probably uh, I'm 35. You're probably that at least that old, I would imagine. But oh, I'm I'm 47, so I'm a little okay, stiff, well. a little older. Well, you're in a running club though, so you go ahead and keep eating those spicy chicken sandwiches. Hey, that's that's right, <laughs> man. That's why I run, so I can eat what I want. Well, cool. Um, so folks can find the app. Uh, just search on their on their uh, little handy smartphone there, uh, and you can get it on Android or an iPhone. Uh, just search you do. That's Y U D U Outdoors. And download it and uh, become a part of the the family. That's it. And it's, yeah, get on it, guys. Download it. Um, make it part of make it part of what you do. Uh, I know that habits are hard to change, and uh, and you know we're we're all used to to clicking on our Instagram account and checking it or our Facebook account. And man, I just just ask everybody to get on, support what we're doing, support what we're trying to do, help us grow it, be active on there. Um, and then, you know, send us. We look forward to seeing everybody's post. All right. Well, hey, we certainly appreciate your time, Brian. Uh, we're excited about this. It's a great alternative to the uh, uh, non-hunter and outdoorsman-friendly platforms that uh, all of us frequent on a regular basis. So <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for jumping on with us, brother. Man, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Well, so there you have it. Uh our friend Brian Sin, CEO of You Do Outdoors. Now you know what you do with it is up to you, but uh, I'm certainly looking forward to being a part of that community and uh, maybe deviating uh, away from the, the normal script of getting on Facebook every day and experiencing all of the backlash from folks who just not only don't understand our way of life, but absolutely hate it for no reason. I, don't, I still don't understand it, but uh, it's not going away. So anyway, check it out. You do outdoors. And by the way, uh, that segment was brought to you by IOTA Outdoors. They're owned by our friends over at Horizon Firearms, their sister company. And uh, they've got a great lineup of precision shooting products, including the new IOTA Crux backcountry rifle stock. Just had one put on my Horizon 7 mag, and here's why I'm excited. Because if you do a lot of walking around in the backcountry, weight is a major factor. The IOTA Crux comes in at 27 ounces. That's right, 27 ounces. So perfect for the backcountry enthusiast. And you can find it at iotaoutdoors.com. Uh, okay, well, unfortunately, uh, this is my least favorite part of the show, but we are flat out of time. Got to get out of here. Do want to say thanks to our guest today, Brian Sin of You Do Outdoors. Also, Jay Stein, our buddy from the Quail Coalition. And, of course, uh, Dan Oko and Scott Alford enjoyed talking tarpon fishing with them today as well. 
Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Them lights, big smoke, and loud, loud Cable Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today.